Welcome to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Mike Egner. Uh, I have the privilege today to uh, have as my guest, my friend, uh, Arjuna Gallagher. Uh, Mr. Gallagher uh, is from New Zealand and he is a Hindu. Uh, and he has a uh, YouTube channel called Theology Unleashed, uh, which is uh, a wonderful channel uh, that uh, I listen to a lot, and I encourage our listeners to check it out. Um, he discusses uh, in, in a very profound way uh, many topics in theology and science and culture, and he's had some great guests. He's had David Bentley Hart, uh, Graham Oppie. Uh, Mark Tan, Mark Solmes, who's a neuroscientist, uh, Matt Dillahunty, who's an atheist, James Fodor, a philosopher, Stephen Barr, who's a Christian philosopher, Aaron Ra is an atheist, uh, and um, I've had the privilege of being on uh, Arjuna's uh, Theology Unleashed uh, YouTube channel as well. It's a great channel. In addition, Arjuna has done a wonderful documentary entitled The Persecuted Saints You've Never Heard Of. Uh, it's an intriguing story about uh, a um, monastery of Orthodox monks uh, who uh, were persecuted because of a theological position that they took. Um, when I started listening to it, I couldn't stop listening, listening to it. It's a fantastic documentary. Please check it out on Arjuna's channel. So welcome, Arj Arjuna. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I don't know a lot about Hinduism, and I would suspect that many of our listeners uh, don't know a lot either. So uh, what is Hinduism? So the word Hinduism uh, is often misused as if it describes one religion, but really it's a category of religions. Um, I was recently listening to Dr. Howard Resnick, who was on a, a Muslim interfaith dialogue podcast, and he explained that comparing Islam to Hinduism is it's it's a it's a category mistake. Well, we should be the the accurate comparison would be the Abrahamic traditions to Hinduism. Like I, I was on their podcast a few weeks earlier, and they were saying, "Oh, the problem with Hinduism is every village you go to, everyone has a different belief." It's like, well, Hinduism for a lot of people is is an ethnicity. They grow up in this culture. There's foods, you know, it includes the the ritual aspects of the religion. Um, but if you actually look inside the traditions of what these what is taught in these traditions, you you have a diverse set of belief systems uh, taught in different traditions, and a lot of them will be very specific about what they believe. So, I'm a member of a tradition called within the tradition the Brahma Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya, uh, and that's a change extending back at least claimed by the tradition all the way back to the beginning of the creation of this universe. Is, is that's the claim that's made, but we have recent uh, appearances of prophets and incarnations of God all the way back to 500 years ago. If you were to describe um, central themes that, that, are, that are held by most, if not all, Hindus, uh, what, what might they be? Yeah, so you do get a lot of diversity, um, but the things that, that are common are an acceptance of the Vedas as authoritative. So the Vedas are, you know, just the Rig, Yajur, Sama, Atharva Veda, and there's also the Puranas and Itihasas and so on. Um, and the beliefs would be cyclical time. So all Hindus are going to believe that time didn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. Uh, there's periodic creation and destruction. Uh, so everything's always existed, but sometimes it appears and sometimes it doesn't. It's, it's, it disappears or is destroyed. Some of them are going to believe that there's an eternal spiritual world, which is never destroyed. It's, it's, it doesn't have a, a day or a night, so to speak, although it has a day, no day or night in the sense of destruction or annihilation, I mean. 
I, I'm not super a super expert scholar on the differences within the various Hindu traditions. Sure. Okay. Do you do you do you believe that God is personal? So you, you this is a big debate which has gone on within Hindu traditions for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, the personalism and impersonalism debate. Uh, so the followers of Adi Shankaracharya, they take a more impersonal view, uh, and it's it's very much like uh, Buddhism. Whereas the Vaishnavas, they have a very personal view of God, uh, and that that's w- what I'm a, a follower of. If if God is not personal. Um... I, I, I do know that uh, Hinduism generally in, involves a notion of karma and, and a notion of reincarnation and a notion that people uh, are sort of uh, compensated for their uh, good or bad behavior in future lives. If God isn't personal, um, how are their lives judged? I mean, how, how, does, how does good and evil come out of uh, an, uh, an understanding of God as being impersonal? That's a good question, and, and that's an argument you could offer against the impersonal views. They they kind of have a mechanistic idea that uh, it's karma is just a, a material mechanism that goes on all on its own. But of course, there's problems with that because to execute karma, you need to be tuned into incredibly subtle nuances of a person's motivations and intentions. And it's hard to think how something that lacked personal features could be that tuned into personal qualities. Indeed. Uh, what what does Hare Krishna mean? Uh, I I hear it a lot. So we're we're called and we call ourselves Hari Krishnas because that th- those are that's part of the mantra we chant Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari. Uh, these are names of God, and the idea is that by associating with God's name, we become purified because God is all pure, and when we associate with God, we become pure. So we chant these names all the time. Uh, the names are quite unique because they're in the vocative. In Sanskrit, you have different, you have more. Um, more grammar, more, it's more flexible. So the vocative is how you call out directly to someone. Other mantras are in uh, are more offering respects from a distance, but these, this is a direct call to the divine. The sense that I have of uh, Hinduism, and I think that our, a lot of listeners will have as well, is that um, there certainly is is a pantheon of gods. There's there's a lot of different gods. Generally speaking, or even in the uh, view of Hinduism that uh, that you ascribe to, what role do those gods play? Are, are they? Is it really pantheistic, or is there one overall god, and these other deities are beneath that god? Uh, so there's many Hindus who will believe in something that's that's rather pantheistic, or some think that uh, all these different demigods are equal and you can worship any one of them and get the same result. And the result is that it's it's just something that you can temporarily fix your mind on until you're advanced enough to fix your mind on that impersonal absolute, which is beyond all these forms. Uh, so this is not the Hare Krishna view that, that or any, no Vaishnava subscribe to that view. The Vaishnava view is that God's a person and his name, form, pastimes are all fully divine. So when we meditate on those things, we're advanced. As for the demigods on the Vaishnava view, they are something like archangels, perhaps, or I'm not super expert on the Christian theology on on that aspect, but uh, they're like engineers which oversee the functions of the material universe. So there's even a demigod controlling the weather. Um, so every, everything in the material universe is conducted by a person. They're, they're powerful personalities and they're jiva souls, which means they're just like you or me and we could become a demigod in a future birth. Okay. Are, are they worthy of worship in, in, uh, the, in the Hindu faith? 
So in in the Hindu faith, the the Vaishnava traditions, at least, yeah, no, and in, in Hinduism more broadly, like the word puja is used, uh, and the word puja will be used for uh, saying something like you should honor your mother and father. Uh, so there's not this hard distinction, or of, um, I mean, it's more of philosophical understanding. So offering respect you can do to anyone, uh, but it's the philosophical view with which you do that with, which is stress. So if I worship my guru thinking he's God, uh, that's that's wrong. But if I worship my guru understanding he's a servant of God and he's helping me come closer to God, uh, then that's fine. And there's also, and then we also res- re- uh, worship God. But it's it's yeah, it's not this hard distinction of a kind of honor you give to one or the other. It's, it's more about the philosophical understanding that's that's stressed. I see. Yeah, the in in the um, in the Christian view, or at least from from the uh, Thomistic view, which I think is is pretty mainstream. Uh, angels are separated intelligences. They're 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 uh, souls without bodies, uh, and um, they, obviously there, there can be good uh, angels and bad angels. You know, demons are um, are any of the um, members of the pantheon in the Hindu faith uh, demonic uh, as opposed to angelic. Yeah, th- there are um, demons, um, and they're always fighting with the demigods, and th- there's a tug of war back and forth, and. You could ask a problem of evil question about that, and the answer that's that one answer that's given is that the purpose is for the demigods; they can forget about God, uh, but when there's trouble, then they're reminded and they go take shelter of God, so that the demons serve that purpose. I'm sure you've heard of the Euthypro dilemma uh, that was posed uh, by uh, by Plato. Uh, that um, it's a dilemma that uh, does is something good because God wills it. Or does God will it because it is good? How does Hinduism look at the origin of good and evil? Is, is, is the origin of good and evil something that just exists independently of, of God, uh, for, for, for those Hindus who believe in a personal God? Um, or uh, is good and evil uh, a command of, of, of God? Yeah, so we don't have the same dichotomy of good and evil that you find in Christianity. Uh, what is discussed in the tradition is people becoming conditioned by the modes of material nature, covered by the modes of material nature, and good qualities overcoming the, bad bad qualities overcoming the heart. So, uh, and then with the idea of karma, you don't get an idea of evil so much because everything that happens is serves a higher purpose. So, an analogy that's given is to the jail system. So, sure, it's not good that there's a jail with prisoners in it, uh, but the fact is that prisoners exist. Us that criminals exist, uh, and because criminals exist, it, it's a good thing that the jail system exists because it, you know, let's hypothetically say the jail system is actually doing a good job at keeping criminals off the streets and reforming them. Uh, that's a great thing. So everything in the material world serves the purpose of elevating conditioned souls from their conditioned state, giving them a chance to try to express their selfish desires, become frustrated, and ultimately turn back to God. The the issue of reincarnation often comes up uh, in discussions of Hinduism. Um, what are your beliefs on in reincarnation, and what do you understand to be the sort of g- general belief of of uh, most Hindus? Yeah, so uh, reincarnation would be another one that almost all Hindus, if not all of them, would would ascribe to. Um, you'll get differences, of course, with the impersonalists who think that we don't have separate souls that they'll. They'll think maybe you know something's going from lifetime to lifetime, but eventually an illusion will be be dispelled, and you'll realize that you're one with everything. 
and you don't have a separate identity. Uh, the Vaishnava view, uh, which yeah, Harry Krishna is, is one form of Vaishnavism, is uh, very much personal, that the soul has always existed, will always exist, and can transmigrate among any n- number of forms. Uh, and this human form of life is a special opportunity to turn back to God. One of the criticisms of, re- of reincarnation is that it, it, it tends to, uh, it, or it, it seems that it might encourage uh, a sort of callousness, a sort of sense that if a person is in the particular life he's in and he's, he's in a bad state, he's, he's had a lot of problems, he's suffering, that it's because of what he's done in prior lives and he kind of deserves it. Um, is that an is that a, an accurate way of looking at reincarnation and at uh, ethics in Hinduism? That's a common objection Christians will give to using reincarnation to solve the problem of evil. The trouble with it is is it's a misunderstanding of, of a few things. Uh, one is this idea of personal responsibility that the idea of karma and reincarnation brings is supposed to be personal responsibility, not blaming other people. So what I mean by that is there's there's a difference of how we view ourselves in light of particular philosophical points and how we view other people in light of philosophical points. So, you know, a common example of that is how the guru sees himself is very different from how the disciple sees himself. If the guru sees himself the way the disciple does, uh, then he's not a qualified guru. Um, the guru is supposed to be humble. Uh, so similarly with with this karma thing, like a, the common argument will be given that well, it ha- actually has happened, I believe, that a Hindu has seen a starving child and thought, this child is starving because it's their karma. If I feed them, then I'll be depriving them of their karma, so I better not feed them. Uh, they have this karma, and it's there to teach them certain lessons, and I better not get involved. What this misunderstands is uh, the, how I view what happens to me is, is karma. So I see things that these, that what happens in my life is meant to teach me lessons. And uh, you're probably well aware that in psychology, this attitude makes people incredibly resilient and improves the quality of their lives immensely when they take personal responsibility rather than victimizing themselves and blaming others and externalizing all their problems. Uh, but then how I should view other people is based on dharma, and so dharma, uh, one way we can translate the word is duty. Another way we can translate the word is religious principles. So there's certain principles or, or duties that govern the way I, I act in the world. So, you know, I have children, so I have a duty to look after the children. And everyone has a duty when they see a starving child to feed the child. There's, there's certain duties that are based on my position in society and there's certain duties that are universal. So a police officer has a different uh, duty with regard to a criminal than a doctor. The doctor is supposed to treat everybody regardless of their criminal status, whereas a, a police officer is supposed to discriminate. I, I and we, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I um, certainly in the in the variants of Hinduism that don't believe in a personal god, it's awfully hard to to see where duties could come from. Um, it, it certainly is evident where you could get a duty if uh, if the creator is personal, because the creator would then that would be the creator's will that you do that but if there is no will and no person at the core of existence then how could one properly be said to have a duty uh, rather than just uh, a desire um where could duties come from in without a personal god yeah that's an interesting question Uh, unfortunately there's not a lot of hindus which have got into the realm of philosophy of religion so it would be interesting to see how they would answer that 
Like they might want to say they just exist necessarily. Like, you know, we say God is a necessary being. They might want to say these, these duties are necessary. Um, I, I know some of your of your uh, YouTube videos have dealt with uh, some of the um, testimony that people have given uh, that where they, they they can recall prior lives. Um, how does that work, and 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 how credible do you do you believe that is? So, with the evidence for reincarnation, in any particular case, you could doubt it. I mean, the skepticism can go too far, where it's like this person is giving evidence for something that I don't think could be true because of you know whatever prior assumptions about worldview. And if you just ignore all the pieces of, it, is of evidence that are given which contradict your worldview, then your worldview is not responsive to evidence, but rather it's something you use to filter the evidence in order to make sure your worldview is never contradicted. Um, but where the real credibility comes in this evidence is when you pile a lot of it together and you start to see patterns. So if it's, you know, if if the cause of these evidences of the evidence of that comes in the form of children who spontaneously report memories of past lives if it's not caused by them remembering past lives then we wouldn't expect it, the data to follow certain patterns uh which would be predicted by past life remembrances being the cause sure and in in some ways i, I see a bit of an analogy to near-death experiences uh, that you know you you can write off quite a few of them, perhaps as you know the effects of medications or of delusion or of deception or something of that sort. But um, there may be a core of them that seem to be veridical that 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 you you know that that you have to give some credence to. Um, the, a question would arise: Is how does one know if knowledge of prior lives is genuine as opposed to, uh, for example, demonic? Uh, if, if if there are evil uh, intelligences out there, because uh, that, that's been raised with uh, with uh, near death experiences, um, even the ones that seem real. How do we know where they came from? Yeah, I, I've debated this before, and one Christian was giving the argument that the memories were planted by a demon. But in philosophy, there's this problem called last Thursdayism, which is we can't prove that all of my memories of everything prior to last Thursday uh, are actually real. So the argument is it's called last Thursdayism for obvious reasons. Um, but if you want to say these children's memories of existing in a previous birth were planted by a demon, then you're opening yourself up to the problem of last Thursdayism. You kind of need to give some amount of credence to memories in order to have a coherent worldview, which includes you know, last year existing. Um, and as far as veridical aspects, uh, there are, so m- many of the cases, there's no veridical aspect. Um, there's one researcher, uh, uh, her last name's Bowman. Her work has been on healing these children. So she'll do psychology techniques where she'll tell the parents to, to talk as if this is real. So you were run over by a bus. That was a different life. That was a different body. Now you're in this life and that's not happening now. And by talking to the children in this way, by, by explaining that their memories are, are real, but they're not there anymore, now they're here, they were able to release this trauma and stop having a phobia of buses in this example. Uh, so there's an immense benefit in treating it as if it's real. But also the vertical aspect uh, comes in many of the... So yeah, what I was saying is many of the cases, those there's no vertical aspect. You can't go and see if, the life, if there was a child described that was run over by a bus that perfectly matches the same thing because they just don't give enough information for... A match to be identified, but in many cases, a match is identified 
And it's often found that these children knew information that wasn't on the internet, that only this person knew or only intimate family members knew. For instance, there was one case where the child uh, located a like buried, tre- I think buried treasure. He located what one child located a gold coin. One child located in a drain on the property that nobody had noticed before. He, the previous personality, had carved a name, uh, and they'll they'll also carry over um, birthmarks, which which match scars or wounds on the body of the deceased individual, and they'll carry over personality traits. So you're getting three different aspects of things which are carrying over, along with. Uh, memories which are proved to be accurate for the life of a previous personality. So there's like a conflagration of evidence. Yes, it's absolutely fascinating. It's it's kind of interesting that um, in Thomistic philosophy, um, there's been the the observation, as you pointed out, with the last Thursdayism problem, that is that how how can you prove that that there was even a last Thursday? And... um, uh, the reality is, I think, if you drill down on it, that you're, you're quite right. You 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 actually can't prove the validity of any of your perceptions or any of your concepts, uh, because in order to demonstrate the validity of perceptions or concepts, you have to depend on conceptions, uh, on perceptions and concepts. So fundamentally, this kind of radical skepticism is kind of unavoidable. But then again, nobody can live that way. That is, that we all believe that last Thursday happened and that our perceptions and concepts have some basis in reality. And what that gets down to is that everybody needs to have faith of some sort. You have to believe in something that you can't prove. And um, I've found this, I think, to be a very powerful argument against atheism, is that um, if you believe in theism, and particularly if you believe in a God who is rational and who is reliable, then your faith is grounded. Your faith kind of makes sense. That uh, I believe last Thursday happened uh, because God wouldn't let me be deceived like that. Uh, whereas if you're an atheist, you have no you have no one to appeal to. That is, then you just have this radical faith that last Thursday happened and you can't prove it. Um, so in in that sense, faith is is the ground for reason. Uh, if if or faith in God is the ground for reason. If you don't believe in a rational God. Um, then you have no no reason to believe that you actually know anything. Yeah, that's like the argument from reason. I quite like the way Sewis Lewis put it. I, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like thinking that chemicals smashing together in your brain could produce accurate knowledge. It's, it's like thinking you could disturb the contents of a glass of milk uh, and get it to splatter on a, a page and produce an accurate map of the world. I think I butchered the quote, but you get the idea. Oh, yeah. No, no. And that, that, man, that's exactly right. Every, 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 everybody lives completely on faith. Uh, there, there is no certainty of anything. Uh, I actually believe that there's no certainty that we even exist. And that, that may sound crazy, but um, Descartes said, you know, cogito ergo sum. I think, there, uh, there, therefore, I am. Um, the problem with that perspective is that that depends on the therefore that it, that is it depends on logic um, it depends on the logical notion uh, that something can't be um, true and false at the same time uh, and we don't have any independent reason to think that logic is true that is that it may very well be that thinking doesn't mean that uh, that you exist if logic doesn't work uh, so you're still left with this radical skepticism 
Uh, so we, we, we all have faith. There's nothing we can, uh, we can be sure of, but if, a faith in God is at least a rational faith. So it brings up an interesting topic. Yeah, that's kind of the argument from reason. I'd, I'd want to separ- distance myself from presuppositionalism, uh, but I think the argument from reason, reason is interesting that, that we need to this idea that God gave us our rational faculties. But, you know, the counter argument would be that evolution produced our, our rational faculties. And I guess perhaps that could be debated, but I, I, don't, I don't think evolution can explain the existence of all of our rational faculties and our perceptions. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Arjuna, and we will return shortly. Uh, and uh, this has been a fascinating discussion. So thank you. And to our listeners, please uh, join us shortly for our, for our, our next uh, session. Thank you. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.